Think back with me to middle school. I know uh, for some of us, that's a long time ago. Um, and for some of us, middle school needs to come with like a, a trauma trigger warning, you know what I mean? But uh, uh, nobody likes middle school. If anybody out there is in middle school right now, I'll pray for you. That is rough. When I was in middle school, we called it junior high, but either way, it was miserable. Whatever you call it, it was miserable. Uh, but there's one part of middle school that is both the best and uh, the worst part, and I'm talking about middle school romance, right? Uh, that glorious and gloriously awkward taste of first love. And the thing about middle school romance is it always happens secondhand, right? Uh, you find out that somebody likes you from a friend, from some third party, you know? Hey, Susie likes you. Oh, yeah, yeah, she, she wants to get to know you. You should go talk to her. It's always secondhand, right? Or you get a note passed in class, uh, you know, a note that tells you somebody likes you. I mean, like likes you, right? Uh, I feel bad for kids growing up today because they got smartphones. They don't get the, the joy of having a note passed in class. They can do it all digitally now. But, but what a great feeling, a, a written note to you from an admirer. That's just a beautiful thing. And and in middle school, it's so important because you're, you're there and you're just trying to make sense of the world, trying to understand your own value, your own worth. And then along comes a friend with a message. Somebody likes you. And, and you know, you weren't even trying to do anything to garner attention. If you were like me in middle school, you're clueless, you know. And then here comes this person who says, hey, you have value and you have worth. What a feeling. Uh, it reminds me of something one of our board members shared recently. He was talking about when he came to faith as a young person. He said he, he always had known that there was someone out there who, who loved him, who was always with him. He just didn't know who that person was. He didn't have a name to give to that person until someone introduced him to Jesus. Jesus is that person who was always there for him and always loving him. What a beautiful story that is. And one of the great joys of being a Jesus follower is that we get to experience that kind of love each and every day. We know the person who gives us worth, who gives us value, who's always there for us. We don't have to wonder if we have value and worth because we've been given a love letter from God through his son, Jesus. And we get to be the person who tells other people, hey, somebody likes you. I mean, like likes you, right? This morning, we start a brand new series. We're calling the series Viral, and the series is going to talk about something that's a little bit uncomfortable for us, or maybe uh, a lot uncomfortable, something that we really would rather avoid if we could help it. I'm talking about evangelism, the E word, if you will. Uh, evangelism is something we know we should do, but we just don't. We don't do it enough, or maybe not at all in some cases, but I think if we can learn to think about evangelism in, in the way that we think about middle school romance, uh, then, then maybe we can make it a little less freaky. You know, it's just finding that person who sees us, who affirms worth and value in us, that maybe that's not such a bad thing to talk about. You know, typically when we think about evangelism, a couple of things 
bubble to the top of our minds, and not many of them are very positive. You know, we might think about like a person like Billy Graham, and he's great, I mean, a wonderful example of a person, but he sets the bar pretty high, you know? I mean, if that's what evangelism looks like, I'm out. He's got me beat before the starting gun goes off. No way I could compare to him in terms of evangelism, right? Or maybe you think about... Um, you know, going and knocking on doors in the neighborhood, trying to talk to people about Jesus. And I don't know if you've ever done that, but in this day and age, people are really reluctant to open the door to strangers. I mean, it's 2018. Nobody does that anymore. That's an idea that's increasingly less and less effective, you know. Or maybe you think about the old standard, the, the, the guy at the football game with the John 316 sign, you know, holding it out. So all the fans can see it, like everybody's got their pocket Bible out and they can look that verse up. I'm not sure what the end goal of that is, but, but that's an idea that's just really gone by the wayside as well. And so when we think about evangelism, there's a lot of ideas that kind of rattle around. But uh, for me, one of the things I think about, I think about my brother-in-law. And uh, he's a guy who loves to talk to people. He has a real gift for evangelism. He's constantly talking to people about Jesus. And he used to do this thing, kind of drove me crazy all the time, but he used to, he would talk to people on the phone. I mean, strangers, you know, basically salespeople that would call, whatever, he'd talk to them. And then he would, he would always hand you the phone and say, hey, I want you to meet my friend so-and-so. I'm like, well, you don't know this guy. I don't know this guy. What am I supposed to talk to this guy about? He was, but he just loves talking to people. And uh, one of the craziest things he ever did, this is in the category of uh, don't try this at home. Uh, one of the craziest things he ever did is uh, share the gospel on uh, Facebook. And I mean, a lot of people do that. But what he would do, like, you know, if you have a Facebook account, which is like 90% of adults. But if you have a Facebook account, you know, you get these friend requests from people who are, are you know, fake. They're scam artists, you know, and they got like a fake picture, fake name. And, and you know, like, I don't know who this person is. Well, he, uh, you know, gets these things too. And he uh, sent this person a message back. And it turns out that the person was not, in fact, some 20-year-old lonely woman, uh, as, as their picture would indicate, but was some guy in the Middle East who's just a scam artist trying to, to make money off of people, right? So he enters into this conversation with this guy, and he, he gets the truth about the guy, and he starts sharing the gospel with the guy. And the guy's, like, really responsive. You know, he drops the whole scam artist thing, and they're having this legitimate conversation. And a short version of the story is he leads the guy to faith, and then is counseling him over, you know, a couple of weeks about how to, you know, break the news to his Muslim family and all this kind of crazy story, you know. But all this from a fake friend request on Facebook. So, so when I think about evangelism, I think about my brother-in-law. I mean, that's what I think about. It's just a bold, no-fear approach to people, right? But that's not me. I mean, I like people from a distance, uh, <laughs> But when it comes to evangelism, I mean, these are the kind of the models that we have to look at, and, uh, and it makes it a little ch- tricky, a little challenging. And it's no wonder that evangelism can feel as awkward as middle school romance. But it doesn't have to be that way. Evangelism is so important. And it can be difficult, it can be freaky, but nobody wants that. And one of the things that, that pastors do, that churches do to try to help, to make it less awkward, you know, is we tell inspiring stories, right? Inspiring stories of people who are, who are 
you know, walking down an African road a hundred miles to be able to share their faith. And that is inspiring, but then really I can't even manage to have a meaningful conversation with my coworker. you know what I mean? But these inspiring stories, they, they often have the opposite effect. Instead of inspiring us, they just sort of uh, keep moving the bar higher and higher until we think, ah, I, I can't do any of that. And the result is that we just, we don't do anything. But what if I told you that there's an approach to evangelism, a biblical approach to evangelism that would take the pressure off, that would be uh, more normal, more natural, something you could actually do without feeling weird, without feeling pressured, without feeling intrusive, but an approach that lines up with, with what the Bible says about evangelism. So you and I, we have the chance, the, the joyous chance to introduce people to Jesus, the one who's always there, who's always loving us, giving us worth and value. But we don't have to sweat the weight of that responsibility. We don't have to make it awkward. It could be the beautiful thing that it is and that it should be. So this morning, we're going to look at what two big evangelists in the Bible have to say. And specifically, we're going to look at some words from Paul the Apostle and from Peter, and we're going to discover a two-pronged approach to evangelism. And this two-pronged approach should help all of us. It should help all of us be able to share our faith in a way that's not creepy, that's not panic-inducing for us or for other people, and that's not forced, just a simple, loving way to relate to our friends, to our neighbors, co-workers, our family. So we're going to look at a couple of different passages, places where Peter and Paul encourage their churches to share their faith, and we're going to identify this two-pronged approach. And, and so here is the first prong. You ready for this? this? This biblical model of evangelism that won't make you feel guilty for not doing it, right? The first prong is this. Evangelists should be bold. Evangelists should be bold. Now, I know what you're thinking. How does that help me feel any better, right? Well, stay with me, all right? In the New Testament, there's one thing that's very clear. Certain people are gifted to be evangelists. I mean, the Holy Spirit gives gifts to to all believers, and some people have that gift of evangelism. Like I told you about my brother-in-law. He is a gifted evangelist. He's a bold guy, fearlessly sharing his faith all the time. The Apostle Paul, another gifted evangelist. He was one of these people, very bold. And and in his letter to the Colossians, which we'll look at, he he basically says as much. He writes this letter to the church in Colossae, and as he's wrapping that letter up, he gives them some, some final instructions. And one of the things that he wants them to do is he wants them to pray. So let's look at Colossians chapter 4, uh, starting in verse 2, you'll see it on the screens. Uh, verse 2, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And pray for us, too, that God may open a door for our message, so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ, for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly, as I should. So Paul, he has the task of proclaiming the message of Christ. That's evangelism, proclaiming the, the gospel. In one of our sermons this summer in Wildfire, uh, we talked a lot about what is the gospel, the, the message of Christ. How do you boil it down to fundamental pieces? And we talked about it as the identity of Jesus, who Jesus is, and what he accomplished, 
So who Jesus is and what he's done, that's the gospel. That's what Paul's trying to declare, that truth. And, and, you know, for Paul, an evangelist could be local, somebody tied to a local church, or an evangelist could be translocal. In other words, you know, moving from church to church to church, uh, traveling all over and supporting different churches. And Paul's, of course, an example of that. Uh, another contemporary example would be somebody like Billy Graham, you know, going all around and, and supporting other churches by being an evangelist. And and a gifted evangelist might be a leader in a local church. You can see that in Ephesians 4.11. Or might just be a, a member of a church. Just an ordinary person who's been gifted by the Holy Spirit with this gift of evangelism. And we got folks right here at Trinity who are that way. Folks that are just gifted at sharing the gospel message with others. And in this passage from Colossians, Paul encourages the church to pray for these evangelists. And specifically, he says pray for two things. First... He wants prayer for opportunities. Look at verse 3. Pray for us, too, that God may open a door to our message, he says. He wants the church to pray for opportunities for these evangelists, that these evangelists would have open doors to be able to share the message of Christ, that God will open those doors and evangelists will be bold and take advantage of those opportunities. So they'll see the opportunity and be bold and in walking through that open door, right? There's a second thing that Paul wants the church to pray for. Verse 4, he says, Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. He asks the church to pray for clarity. Clarity in sharing the message. There's another Bible translation that says, Pray that I may make it known as I should. See, the idea in the verse is just making something visible that has been hard to see or making something plainly recognizable. In other words, just making it clear, right? That's what Paul asked the church to pray for, that he would be able to present the message of Christ clearly. Has it ever happened to you? You know, you find yourself finally in a position to be able to share the gospel, and then you kind of lose what you want to say, you, you, you're how to start, you don't even know where to go, and we'll actually talk about that later on in the series. But, but, but here, Paul just wants prayer for these gifted evangelists, that they would be clear in proclaiming the gospel message. They wouldn't suffer from confusion. They wouldn't waffle in how they present the gospel message. And so a key part of our evangelism strategy is that we should all be in prayer. This passage starts off with this challenge, devote yourselves to prayer. And specifically pray, not only praying for people who we know, who need to know the gospel, that kind of goes without saying, praying for people who need to know Jesus, but also praying for gifted evangelists in our midst, praying that they would have the opportunities to share the gospel and praying for clarity when they do share the gospel. So this first part of our biblical approach to evangelism is just to pray. As a church, we should be devoted to prayer. And you know, throughout the summer... Now into the fall, prayer is this topic that's come up over and over and over again. A strong need that we have here at Trinity is to increase our commitment to prayer, right? So I hope you're picking up what I'm laying down there. Uh, prayer is just a critical piece of the Christian life and, and a critical piece of our evangelism strategy in particular. We're absolutely just wasting our time and wasting our energy and our resources if we're not committed to prayer as a part of what we're doing, praying for people in our valley to come to faith in Christ. And when I think about evangelism, I think of in several people right here at Trinity who are gifted in this way, uh, folks who inspire me, uh, folks who are regularly sharing the gospel with others. Maybe you're one of those people, but I bet you can think of them if you're not. So if you're a gifted evangelist, you should be bold. Uh, but all of us have the task, the, the command to devote ourselves to prayer. 
prayer for these evangelists that God has gifted here in our church. And we pray for these two things in particular, for clarity and for opportunities. And so if you're one of these folks, one of these gifted evangelists, one of the best things that you can do is to pray for yourself and pray for others like you. You could pray for these two things, great biblical things to pray for. Uh, Paul repeats the same kind of request at the end of the book of Ephesians. In Ephesians 6, he says it this way, Pray also for me that whenever I open my mouth, words may be given me, so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should, he says. So here he asks for fearlessness. That's a great thing to pray for, too, especially if you're one of these gifted evangelists. You can pray these things for yourself. And the rest of us praying these things, too, for clarity, fearlessness, taking advantage of opportunities. All these things demonstrate that evangelists should be bold. That's the first part of our strategy. You're gifted, a gifted evangelist should be bold. The rest of us should be praying for them. But there's more to this passage, this passage in Colossians, because you might have also noticed that Paul, he doesn't ask us to pray for these things for each other. He asks for opportunities, for clarity, but we're praying those things for the evangelists. I mean, we all are looking out for opportunities, that's true, but there's something else that Paul has in mind for the rest of the church. So what should the rest of us be focused on? Besides praying for evangelists in our faith family, what should we be doing? If we're not those gifted evangelists, What should we be focused on? That's the second prong of our evangelism strategy. And we said evangelists should be bold. That's their job. And for the rest of us, we have another rule. Evangelists are bold, and the rest of us are questionable. Questionable. Now, uh, there's a lot of ways to be questionable, right? Uh, That can mean a lot of different things. Some kind of sketchy and some kind of helpful. Let me explain what I mean. Let's look at this passage in Colossians again, only this time we're going to read a little bit farther. So Colossians 4, uh, again starting at verse 2. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message, so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ, for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Now we keep going, verse 5. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. So Paul gives some further instructions to the church here. Not only are we to pray for evangelists, but he also tells us how we should live, how the rest of us should be conducting our day-to-day lives. In verse 5, he talks about being wise. He talks about being full of grace. And the purpose of this behavior comes right at the end, the end of verse 6. So that you may know how to answer everyone. So if the goal is for us to know how to answer everyone, that implies that there's going to be questions. People will be asking questions. And that's what I mean when I say we should be questionable. Living in such a way that it draws non-believers in, makes them curious, makes them ask questions of us. We're questionable. Not in a freaky, weird way, but in a way that sparks curiosity, that makes people question their own beliefs. The primary contribution that most of us make to evangelism is to lead questionable lives, lives that spur other people on to ask questions. We're to be questionable. Lives that lead other people to ask questions about their faith, about what drives us to act and think the way that we do. Uh, We live in such a way so that we may know how to answer everyone. Look at the passage again. Be wise 
in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation always be full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Now, I told you we're going to hear from two evangelists today, Paul and also Peter. So we've heard from Paul. But as Peter writes a letter to the churches he's familiar with, he gave them very similar instructions. Listen to what Peter says about being questionable. First Peter 3, he says this, But in your hearts set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. So see, primarily, we set apart Christ as Lord of our hearts. We have a rich and a vibrant faith. We have a life that's worth questioning. Because we're not living for ourselves. We're not living in a, in a way that follows all the same patterns of the culture around us. We're living for Christ. He's Lord of our hearts, and therefore He impacts the way we live, and we think, and we work, and we act. And then we're ready for questions. We're prepared to give an answer. It's the same idea that Paul teaches, being ready to answer people when they question. So it seems that our main contribution to evangelism is to be questionable, to be intriguing, to be surprising. Author and evangelist Michael Frost, he says it this way, The believer's function then is to pray like crazy and to conduct themselves in word and deed in such a way as to provoke unbelievers to question their beliefs and enter into an evangelistic dialogue. We've called this series Viral, and part of that is, is thinking about things in our culture that go viral. I mean, by definition, something that's, that's viral, it, it starts small, and it captures people's attention and draws curiosity so that people want to share it. They want to be a part of it, and, and they want to get it out there. And there's really no way to predict that a, a certain product or a certain video or idea will go viral. People who think about these things, they say it's a lot more art in science, but, uh, but there are some things you could do to, to help something go viral, to make your product or make your idea really catch people's attention. And uh, Seth Godin, he's a best-selling author. One of his, his well-known books is called The Purple Cow, right? And uh, it's a book about how to make things go viral, how to market things and ideas and stuff like that. And he says this, the big idea of the book, he says, we don't notice a brown cow. They're everywhere, you know. Uh, nobody pays any attention to them. But if we see a purple cow, then we can't help but take notice, and we can't help but talk about it, right? Well, in some sense, our lives should be purple cows. People uh, should be so intrigued, so curious about us, so uh, into questions that they can't help but wonder about us. They can't help but notice about what makes us different, what drives our discussions, our, our decisions, our attitudes? And because we have a relationship with them, then they ask questions. Well, why did you say that? Or uh, what makes you think that's true? Or how come you're so calm when everybody else is so... Right? They ask us questions. Questions that ultimately lead us, as Paul said, to make the most of every opportunity. So later in this series, we're going to talk about that idea, about how to make the most of every opportunity, how to answer the questions when they do come. But for now, the big idea is just to be questionable. We should all lead questionable lives, lives that are different enough and appealing enough that people want to know more, want to know what makes us tick. So I would say if our lives look like every other normal, respectable, law-abiding citizen, 
That's a brown cow. There's nothing intriguing about that. That's not viral. If that's how we live, we're just wallpaper. We're there, but nobody really pays any attention to us, right? If we're raising our kids just to follow the rules, just to do what's right, that's great, but it's not questionable. We need to be living, we need to be raising our families with a passionate desire to set Christ as Lord of our hearts, as Peter says. That's what leads to questions, and that's what leads to evangelistic conversations. So I told you at the beginning I'd share a biblical model of evangelism that takes the pressure off, it's normal and natural. Well, I've done that, sort of, and I lied to you a little bit. Uh, it's a biblical model, that part's true, and it does take some of the pressure off, not making us feel like we've got to be boldly sharing our faith like a car salesman on commission all the time. But in some sense, this biblical model is a lot harder because it means your whole life has to line up with the gospel, living out Christ's priorities each and every day. Not just living a good, normal life, but living a questionable life so that people will see and take notice. I mean, it really would be easier to just go knock on a stranger's door and then you never have to see them again. So in some sense, this is a model that's much more true to the Bible, but it is harder. And yet it's probably never been more necessary than it is right now. It was, it was critically necessary in the world that, that Peter and Paul lived and wrote in, and now we find ourselves very much in that same kind of culture, a culture that's increasingly hostile to Christianity. I mean, the whole world is changing. The world that, that so many of us came of age in is so different from the world today. We used to live in a modern world with, with modern rules, and we could understand the way things were. It was a lot more simple than it is now. Author Sam Chan, he describes the way things used to work versus the way things work now. He says, in the modern world, the way things used to be, a thing was true, you know, an idea, a statement. You could make a claim that something was true. And, and if that was true, the way th- people used to think, then if that was true, it could be believed, right? I mean, that makes sense. If it's true, I believe it. Uh, you could convince a person of the, the truth of an idea, and they'll believe it. And then the next step, the critical step, okay, if I believe it, then I'll start to live it out. It'll become livable in my life. I'll change my life to reflect this new truth that I believe. You know, so for example, in the old days, you could go to a person's house. You could knock on their door, share the gospel message with them, and maybe spend a little time convincing them that the Bible is trustworthy. It's true. Logic and reason dictate that it's true, okay? And if you convince a person that it's true, then they'll believe it. And then over time, they'll, they'll shape their life around it. They'll start to live it out, right? But that's not the world we live in anymore. Uh, Sam Chan, he goes on to talk about the postmodern world, a world that operates by totally different rules. In this world, the world we live in now, truth is not the starting point. I mean, that's all over the news. In fact, truth isn't truth anymore, right? You don't have to make logical arguments or a reason and facts to try to convince somebody of the truth. The way the world is now, it's almost the total opposite of how it used to be. Now, people want to know, is this livable? Uh, you, you claim that this is true, but I want to see it lived out in your life before I'll be convinced. If it's livable, if all the claims of Christianity really work in real life, then I'll start to pay attention to it. Then I'll believe it. And if I can believe it, then it's true for me. 
It becomes true for me. See, it's, it's the total opposite of how things used to be. Instead of starting with logic, with careful arguments or reasons, we've got to start with being livable. We've got to live questionable lives, lives that demonstrate to the postmodern world that what we say is actually true. It actually works because they see it lived out in our lives. Uh, Sam Chan, he sums it up in this way. He says, therefore, evangelism now requires a lifestyle change. We need our Christian friends to become friends with our non-Christian friends, part of the same community. And then our non-Christian friends can see how the Christian life works, and they'll discover it is livable. And if they see that, they'll see that it is believable. And if they see that, they might also acknowledge that it's true. But this will happen only if we live with our non-Christian friends, not just visit them, not just go out with them, but live among them. So they're part of our closest network of friends, and we're part of their closest network of friends. So that becomes our role, being questionable, living among non-believers in a way that draws attention and questions. Not just having non-believing friends as a project, but, but genuine relationships, real friendships with people. So how do we do this? How do we live questionable lives? Well, first, we've got to live in a way that's aligned with the teachings of Jesus. That's got to be the key, being mature enough in our faith so that our lives actually do match up with what we say is true about the Christian life. Because people can sniff out a hypocrite from miles away, right? So that's got to be the key, uh, living in a way that lines up with the Bible. And the best way I know to keep us growing, to keep us grounded in that, is, is to surround ourselves with people who will help us. That's why growth groups are such a vital part of everything we do at Trinity, you know. Uh, they give you that love and belonging that you need. They give us the care that we can all benefit from. And they give us the accountability that we wish we didn't need, but we really do. Uh, and that's what our groups are all about. You know, we, we say all the time, our, our growth groups are the place where people make their best friends and they receive their best care and they take their biggest next steps. So, so uh, let me encourage all of you to get involved in a group if you're not already. We've got Group Link coming up. That's an event where you come here on October 5th and you'll leave connected to a group. It's just that simple and it's fun. It's fun. October 5th. Uh, beyond joining a group, uh, let me share a couple other ways that you can lead a questionable life. And all these other suggestions, they fall under the category of just being a blessing. Uh, blessing other people. That's one way to be questionable. And the word blessing, we toss it around church quite a bit, but have you ever thought about what it really means? An interesting word. It comes from Old English, and it's an old word. It means to give strength to another's arm. Uh, an interesting definition. So, so blessing somebody is just, just filling that person with strength, with encouragement, to, 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 to increase in their own strength, their own prosperity, right? Just giving away your strength to another person. And, and blessings can surprise people. They can make people ask questions. And you can bless other people in so many different creative ways. I mean, if we took the time, we'd probably come up with a hundred different ways to be a blessing. But I'm just going to share three simple ideas. And the very first way to be a blessing is just words of affirmation. Just bless people with your words. Uh, that can be face-to-face, it can be a written note, text message, whatever, but just such a simple way to bless other people. I love this quote from Mark Twain. He says, I can live for two months on a good compliment. Right? Just use your words to bless 
other people. Uh, another way to bless other people is, is through our actions, uh, acts of blessing, acts of kindness. And now, this gets a little harder because there's a lot of folks out there that are paying it forward and, and trying to be kind and everything, which is great, you know, giving a big tip or buying somebody else's dinner, that sort of a thing. Those are great things, but if you want to be questionable, you're going to have to raise the bar a little bit on, on this. You can be creative. You can go big on acts of kindness, you know. Babysit your neighbor's uh, kids that are always crazy or cut your neighbor's lawn, help somebody move, whatever. Go, go big from there, you know. Uh, a third way to be a blessing is just to give gifts, just, just random gift-giving for no reason. Uh, my wife's really good at this. I'm not. You can ask her for tips. But just giving people gifts is a way to bless people, you know, unexpected blessings. That's how you, people will ask you questions. Why are you doing this for me? That's uncomfortable, right? So there's easy ways to be a blessing, right? Just to lend your strength to another person. And remember what Peter and Paul told us already. They said, in our dealings, we should be wise full of grace, seasoned with salt, with gentleness and respect, they say. And when we do this, people are, are intrigued by our motivations, and that's when we get to share about Jesus, this one who blesses us so that we can bless other people. Uh, in his book, Discover Your Mission Now, Dave Ferguson recounts reading a doctoral thesis that's really fascinating. It talks about uh, blessers versus converters. So this researcher looked at two different uh, short-term missionary teams that visited Thailand with different um, mission strategies. And the team that he calls the blessers, they go with the intention of, of simply blessing people. They said as their mission, they want to bless whoever came in their path in whatever practical way they could. The other team, the converters, uh, they went with the sole intention of converting people, of sharing the, uh, the gospel message with as many people as they could. So which team do you think was more effective in sharing the gospel? The researchers found that the blessers had almost 50 times as many conversions as the converters. That's crazy. When we live unexpected lives, which includes blessing other people, we find ourselves being questioned by other people. And that's when we've got the best opportunity to share the hope that is within us, the hope of Christ. So evangelists live boldly, the rest of us pray, and we lead questionable lives. Let me pray for us. God, we thank you for the gospel that gives us uh, a new identity, like we sang about this morning, the gospel that gives us new life, new hope in you, and spurs us to, to totally change the way we think and act and live. And we want to be people who are fully aligned with you in our lives, that we are living in a way that is questionable, that boldly uh, displays for the world that the faith that you've given us, it works. It's livable, and we're doing it. And, and we want to be uh, living in a way that spurs other people to ask questions of us. And I pray that you would give us the, the focus that we need for that, surround us with relationships that help us do that, and, uh, and pray, too. I'll pray specifically for the evangelists in our faith family that they would be bold, taking advantage of these open doors and, and, and that you would give them clarity and, and fearlessness, Lord. We pray all these things through your Son, and it's his, his, in his name. Amen.